If you use the internet on a daily basis, and chances are you do, you probably don't put much thought into cybersecurity. You know, your network connections, the pages you visit, the files you download. You should be thinking about these all the time. Welcome to And Security for All. Your host is Kim Hakem. We're here to help you understand, in general terms, how and why your cybersecurity should be kept in check. Now, here is Kim Hakem. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us today. Welcome to And Security for All. Uh, I'm Jonathan Kimmett. Uh, I am taking over for Kim today. She is taking a much needed uh, pseudo vacation. I think she is still working, but she's trying to find some peace and quiet in, uh, in between all of the events she's been doing. Speaking of events, we've got uh, Tampa, I believe, coming up for next week. Um, so if you're interested in any of those events, please uh, uh, reach out on LinkedIn um, to, uh, to to Kim and follow her. She's got, she posts all those things out there for everyone. So it's a great resource for her. Okay. Today's topic. Uh, this is a fun one. Um, I invited a, a colleague of mine, Tanner Shin, from Alias Cybersecurity to, to join me. And we worked together for doing a, a lot of different things in terms of cybersecurity. And I was talking with him about the topic. And the topic we wanted to kind of cover is when our families aren't safe. And I, I'm jumping into this topic because uh, it, I'm really excited about it. And here's the, here's the setup for it. When we do pen tests, when we uh, get engaged with an organization to test their security, one of the things we don't often get to do is test the security of the families of the individuals in the organization. And unfortunately, that's one of the easiest ways to get into the organization. They'll compromise a family member, a family member's computer, and kind of work their way back. So I thought it'd be kind of interesting to, to bring on Tanner and to have him talk about the uh, things that he has seen and, and kind of going back and forth. And one of the things I really want to do today is we're going to profile some organizations. How would we attack someone, attack their organization specifically to get access to, um, again, their kids, their spouses, their family members, anything like that in the attempt to work our way back into the organization. So first, welcome Tanner. I appreciate you coming on with me. Thanks for having me. Yep, absolutely. First, let's talk, uh, talk a little bit about yourself. Tell us uh, who you are, kind of where you came from and, and how'd you get into cybersecurity? Sure, yeah. So uh, my name is Tanner. I am a security engineering lead here at Alias. So I act as a technical escalation resource as well as run around a team full of security penetration testers and security engineers, and it's it's great fun. Um, so I guess I got into, I guess you got to go, go way back, really, because security is more than just a hobby or more than just a job for most people in 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 this field it's it's an interest that you have for a long time so i mean going back i've always been interested in taking stuff apart figuring out how it works you know trying to make stuff do what it shouldn't do which really that's that's what hacking is right taking something and making it do what it's not supposed to do um so got into it pretty natural progression did the work my way up you know from help desk at a college to network engineer at dell for a long time and Finally ended up making the jump to, uh, to security and basically went straight into security penetration testing. I was, I was lucky enough to be able to do that. And that's just been my bread and butter ever since. You know, that's, uh, that's what I love doing. It's, it's pretty much my hobby and my job. So I consider myself very lucky. 
Yeah, and, and that's one of those things. That what I found, you know, in our group is everyone loves it, and everyone loves doing what we're doing. You know, I love it for protecting people, and I love doing the technical stuff, and it's a lot of fun. And I actually like, you know, the best part about the organization is working with the people, um, and yeah, it's just it's great. Now the topic. Uh, this actually started with a conversation with you and I. We uh, we were talking about a possible pen test back. I don't know, a couple of months ago now, or maybe a month ago. And uh, we were, there were three or four of us. We were, I guess we were heading to lunch, but we were all talking about different ways to attack an organization. And my first thought, since I'm, I'm not really a pen tester, you know, I'm kind of on the CISO side, but my first thought was go after the spouse, you know, get in and, and, and go after the spouse, get onto that computer, get their email. You know, there's so many different avenues and that kind of, you know, kind of stemmed this, uh, this thought in my head of, I think that would make a really good show. And so I, I kind of talked with you about it and I think you had the, the same thought that it'd be kind of fun to get in and talk about. So I appreciate you coming out with us and, and, and enjoying the, uh, the, the topic. So with that said, Let's kind of give a primer first for a normal pen test. So if you were asked to do a basic pen test on an organization, and this is, um, think about an outside pen test or, you know, trying to get into their network, um, not physical at this point, just a basic outside penetration test coming in. What's the steps you go through? What, what are those different kinds of things that you normally do? Yeah, sure. So <clears throat> if, uh, first we're gonna have to define the scope. So. If this is, say, kind of the gloves are thrown off, you can social engineer people, you can make phone calls, emails, everything like that, you define the scope. So we're going to have to figure out what that is, uh, figure out what our targets are. Um, so that's that's kind of step one. What is what is the targets? And, of course, we verify those to make sure we're not going to accidentally attack the wrong people because the difference between a federal prison and a paycheck in this industry is consent. So that's something we always have to be careful for. Uh, so be funny. <laughs> it's true, but it's funny. <laughs> it's very true. Yeah. So I'd run through, um, I'd, let's say I'm going to uh, start off. So let's, let's, and those are the premises we can social engineer. We're doing an external penetration test. So I'm going to go through, take the, the domain name. I'm going to do some recon on that and figure out what's associated with it. So look at all of the IPs that are associated with it, all the domain names that are associated. Are there other domains associated? <clears throat> and then I'm going to start scraping for users from that organization. So I'm, I'm essentially creating a profile, right? And it's a very hierarchical profile where it starts off company name. And then from here, it's going to come down. What are the services and what are the people? We'll talk a lot on the people on this, uh, less so on the services. So we would start, we would do some service enumeration. We'd check there, the very typical penetration testing stuff where we're scanning for vulnerabilities. We're going to exploit those vulnerabilities, um, anything that we can do from that side. But I'm also going to go and scrape LinkedIn and see who all is associated with the organization. Um, we're going to look through every social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, everything. Um, I'm going to look up where the organization is. Uh, the, the, the headquarters and such, there are programs that let you geolocate tweets, uh, what tweets are taken from these locations. Uh, and then we can start cross-referencing those Twitter accounts with the accounts that we got from LinkedIn. And we can probably figure out people's personal stuff from there. Uh, from there, it's just a matter of figuring out, we'll, we'll figure out who is our valuable targets. So let's say uh, I was going for a CISO, that would be a valuable target. Um, probably a hard target, but 
we'll we'll pretend here. So we would. (laughs) (laughs) We will. uh, So we'll look at the. See, so let's let's pretend that you you have an unidentified you know Twitter account that's not necessarily the same, but I can tell it's you know it's it's your initials and and something like that. I get a pretty good guess that it's you. Start digging into it. Figure out that it is you. So from there, we're gonna okay. What do we have? We have probably can figure out the email. We have ways to contact you anonymously. We can figure out who you follow, who you're friends with, everything like that. Probably any other associated uh, social media because it's probably with the same email. So let's say from there, we're able to find a Facebook. Who do you follow on Facebook? Probably your family. Um, So at that point, we can start getting really, really deep into stuff where we're coming down that structure. So we've got our people, we've got our targets. So now we've got our our target for this one person. We're going to dig into that and we're going to say, who is he close to? Who is his his family? Who are the people that he works with on a daily basis? And then we'll get as much detail about the person as we can. So we'll start looking into what do they do for hobbies? What do they do for um, any other past jobs? You know, we'll figure out who their connections are and everything like that. Um, and at that point, those connections may or may not be people that have access to him. And at what point do they have access? Uh, and family is always going to be one of those ones that, you know, I mean, they, they share a house, they share everything in your life. Those are, those are the targets. And while you may be a super hard and secure target, your children probably aren't. Well, yours probably are actually, but, but most, <laughs> most people are not. Um, uh, so, so, you know, we can, we can go from there and, and we can, we can get into that as much as you want. I don't want to, I don't want to go too much on a tangent, but I mean, <laughs> this, and this, well, is recon. this is not attacking or anything. This is yeah. all step zero, finding out what targets are. Well, and I think that that leads right into the the actual topic is, you know, normally when we're doing a pen test and testing an organization's security, that's where you stop. I mean, you you get the information of the CISO or the CEO or whoever, but how often do you go beyond that? I mean, you might fake a couple of emails to send to that CISO, um, but very rarely have we ever tested, unless we're doing home security or personal security uh, evaluations and we're doing assessment at someone's house, maybe uh, for a high-risk user or um, a, a famous person or you know anybody that may want to have that extra security at their home. But just a general pen test, how far do you go? Do you ever go, hey, I bet you I could get access to the children or to the spouse or to a grandparent and have we have you ever done that on a pen test not on a standard penetration test no um so we will oftentimes go very deep on a person um for example i have gone as far as finding out somebody who was into specific he was a classic corvettes um so we you know he's got classic corvettes he's got it on his facebook page he goes to all these events and everything like that uh creating a group getting a bunch of people to connect with the group posting fake pictures on the group um, and then creating a website for that group's event and getting this user to sign up for this. Um, and then, you know, from there, it's pretty easy. They're not thinking about security. They're not thinking about yeah. work. Uh, and we were able to compromise that user that way by uh, getting them to download a, uh, I won't go into too much detail about it, but it was, it was pretty much a, a word macro. Um, right. so they, they downloaded it, executed it there, command and control on that. He was checking the email on the work laptop. It was, yeah. It was, it was pretty much game over from there. Uh, but that was through, we found the user like classic cars. Um, so yep. yeah. And that's, but, that's a, as personal as we usually get. 
Yeah. And, and that's the thing is, you know, kind of, you stop it there. Now, a lot of times you get in, I mean, a lot of times you're able to, you're successful, you're able to get in the organization. Um, I will say things are getting better in terms of security of tools. So email phishing is getting caught a lot more. Um, of course, you've got a lot of the tools available to protect the perimeter of the, of the network. But again, I think it's that there's a weakness there and I kind of want to get into that now and, and take the gloves off. If, if we were really an attacker, if we were really had malicious intent, so there was no restrictions, let's talk about some of the attacks that might be successful. You know, let's say I was the CISO and you were coming in and you were going to come at me through my family. How would you do it? How, what, what are some tactics you might utilize? Sure. So um, we can we can go into some that we actually see uh, that we see from the defensive side attacks that actually happen um, and how they can can affect, you know, more than just the target. Um, and, and one of these that we see way too often is the romance scam thing. Uh, somebody creates, you know, they go clone a, an Instagram profile of some model or Snapchat or whatever. They start reaching out to that person and they essentially catfish them. They say, hey, you know, this is this is me. I, I'm so interested in you. They get them romantically involved. They get their buy-in. And then from there, it's so many ways that they can be manipulated. Uh, we see this often targeted at, at, at young men, but really any, it can happen to anybody. Um, so that's always a, always a concern. Uh, it'll, it'll go as far as uh, getting you know, pictures of them that they wouldn't want to be shared to where they say, hey, we can blackmail you with these pictures. Um, it can be stealing money. That's another really common one that we see is where, you know, oh, I, I just need money so I can come meet with you in person. And they end up stealing thousands of dollars from them. That happens all the time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a super common one. And I mean, for a lot of that, you know, that's your regular extortion, but we've seen it or I've seen it to where they threaten to post it on things that might get them in trouble. Um, they might get like a, a new picture or a, a compromising position mm -hmm. and post it out in a children's forum or something to make it look like they're a child molester or something to that effect. I mean, there are those sorts of things that happen. So it's not even just uh, guilting somebody into doing something or extorting them to doing something. Sometimes they just want to ruin someone's life. Um, or they use that for the extortion. Like, hey, if you don't do this thing, give us money, give us access, give us yes. you know credentials. We're going to do this, and it's going to ruin your life or in your family. You know, my, maybe it's a picture of them uh, with another woman, and maybe it's fake. But once that doubt is out there, if they send it to a Facebook account to the, the spouse, then you know that becomes a problem. I mean, that that can damage families and. Again, the attackers are just trying to get into an organization or to get money or there's a whole variety of things. But in the process, they might, you know, really harm the family structure or really harm reputation of individuals, uh, even to the extent of doing some bad things. You know, maybe it's suicide. Maybe it's, you know, a lot of different things because it's just terrible. We had one that just happened. It was a user who uh, their their wife was targeted with an email. It was sent from a ProtonMail account, which that's a very kind of shady email provider. Like they have valid security purposes as well, but it's used for a lot of, uh, a lot of dark web type of stuff, really, you know, stuff you wouldn't want on Gmail. Um, so that's a red flag number one, but it says um, 
they emailed them and they said, I'm having an affair with your husband. I just want to come clean and get this off my conscience. Uh, you can email me if you, if you really want to know about it. And this was targeted at somebody's wife. Um, yeah. luckily that was, that was kind of where it stopped. You know, they had a conversation, they actually reached out to us and we said, Hey, look, this is the type of thing that we see, you know, this is, this is cause she was obviously concerned. Is my husband cheating on me? That's a, oh, yeah. it immediately strikes you in a vulnerable, um, a place that you, you're immediately going for a vulnerability essentially. It's yeah. like, it's, it, yeah. Yeah. So that's a, a tough place to start at. And, and I think that that's really kind of what we're getting to the to too is this is a vulnerability. It's risk. And there's a, it's a great question by Preston. We may not be able to put it up on the screen because it's a really long question. But the gist of the question is, what is the reason that family members are left out of targeting during these tests? And and I think that there's a couple of different reasons why. Um, number one, there's liability involved. I mean, because liability at an organizational level is very different than liability at a personal level, you know, taking down computers, insurance, you know, all these different things that might be a problem. But why, you know, Tanner, what do you think? Why is it that organizations are so hesitant to let us or let pen testers have that, you know, unbridled, uncuffed attack just to see where those vulnerabilities are? It's probably a very multifaceted answer. I think a lot of people know that they would fail. I think that's definitely something that's concerning. Um, whenever it comes into scoping people who aren't part of the organization, the, the organization itself might have problem with that. Um, so while you maybe have signed an NDA with your organization and, and you're, you have a lot, you have this certain understood amount of security clearance for them, um, inducting their, you know, their family members into security campaigns for it may not be, may not be something that they want to do for that reason. Yeah. Uh, it also may be, like you said, the, the ethical part where a lot of people just say, I don't want my kids to be involved with that. I don't want you doing that to my kids. Like, you know, it's uh, something people can take very personally, even though oh, yeah. in, in these instances, you know, like like the guy that I created the, the profile for, you know, the classic Corvettes and ended up getting them that way. I'm sure that that he felt very, very uncomfortable by that. And uh, it's, you know, people will, will feel essentially personally violated a lot of the times whenever you, you do compromise them in, in ways like that. And it's not, you know, it's hard to not take it that way. And I could see why people wouldn't want to bring their family into it. But it's also entirely valid as far as the actual structure of an attack goes. Because yeah. if we're, we're emulating threat actors, we do what the threat actors do. And yeah. we see that they're doing this, so it needs to be considered and it needs to be scoped in, at least when an, when an organization is ready for it, right? You step yourself up in maturity, and that's a fairly mature attack vector. Yes, absolutely, and and you're right. It's there are some easier things to fix sometimes in organizations, you know, like deploying multi-factor that will help significantly in a security posture. And if they're not doing that part, uh, there may be some other things that we could do as well but you know multi-factor is really important so doing those other things is, is just kind of extra stuff but i think you're right um i think from the point of view of people are afraid to include their families i mean i i personally would be i'm torn on it actually i mean i would be hesitant to allow my family to be a target of an organizational pen test however i have no problem with bringing in and getting a pen test done on my family. You know, I think I've done a 
an okay job at, you know, security and such for the network and the family, teaching my kids and what to do. Uh, but if there is a problem, I want to know about it. So, I mean, I think that possibly the or the the industry is might change uh, where people start realizing that if that is a vulnerability that we need to 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 kind of fix that uh, we've got a, a couple of things here um we another question or a statement from preston talking about adhering to acceptable use policy absolutely you know that's one of the things that especially during covid uh when we're talking about taking data home using on universe or uh, organizationally owned computers um if they're doing uh processes where they might have paper you know there are acceptable use policies they need to follow and when you're not doing that in a setting that's out of the control of the organization that's where a lot of risk would come in and a lot of vulnerabilities might come in. So it, it is absolutely an acceptable use policy issue that's possibly a way to verify users are adhering to that. Uh, then we've got, let's see what, uh, the, I had another question here. <laughs> uh, Roman said, the bad guys don't stop at anything. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's kind of what we're getting at is, even though we may not want our families involved, they are involved. You know, people yeah. will attack them. So I, uh, I think we, um, let's go into a little bit more specifics of different kinds of attacks. And, yes. uh, and, and one of the ones that I was thinking about, cause this actually happened to me a few weeks ago. Um, and, and it was, as I was working through the problem, I was thinking, is this really an attack? You know, cause I'm paranoid and that's my job, but it was a Friday afternoon. Our gas got turned off in our house. So I, we, uh, we figured out that somebody came and turned off the gas and they put a little, a little sheet of paper up on the thing and say, Hey, your gas has been turned off. Contact us to schedule a time to get your little gas thing, uh, the gas uh, meter replaced. And I'm looking at it. Didn't talk to anyone. Didn't see anyone. All I have is a sheet of paper saying, you know, go to this website or, or you know, call here. Well, I called and the gas company had already closed down for the weekend because we got home late and whatever. So we were without gas for, you know, two or three days. So no hot water or nothing. And I was kind of annoyed at that. But then I started thinking about the attack vector. If I was an attacker and let's say on a, a Friday afternoon, I came by your house and I took the wrench and I turned your gas off and put a sticker up on your door and says, hey, if you want your gas turned back on, you know, I'm the gas company, go to this website. You go to this website, it says to download this plugin on your browser. And then all of a sudden your machine's compromised. And who, I don't know of anybody who's not going to go to the, the, the website to try to get their gas turned back on because, well, they need gas over the weekend. They need hot water over the weekend. So that would, that's just a basic attack vector. And again, I was the one doing it. So I'm, you know, going to the website instead of reading what's on the sheet of paper. I'm calling numbers I find, you know, on the, on the directory and stuff. But I wouldn't think, I wouldn't, you know, imagine that a lot of people would go that far in terms of their paranoia. They might just say, oh, the gas company turned off my, my gas and they just follow the directions on the sheet. So that sort of thing. So what would you think is a good attack vector um, for doing that sort of thing to a family, to a spouse, to kids, to grandparents that might be very successful getting them in? So let's, uh, going back to the acceptable use policy uh, and related, how many times as a CISO did you see somebody letting their family use their work computer? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I told them not to, but they did it. Right. Um, and uh, one very popular children's game is, uh, is Minecraft. 
there was a vulnerability that came out for Minecraft today where you can sideload. So you can actually fully exploit that. I mean, that's that's software side, really. But, I mean, that's children creating vulnerabilities from it. Uh, but going back on the topic of games, uh, Roblox, super popular, right? All, every, every kid plays Roblox. There was a, to talk about how easily they can be, you know, manipulated by, by people who have the means. Or There was a, a, a person who ended up getting caught. They were running a scam. I guess you can call it a scam. They created a Roblox world, excuse my lack of terminology for, I don't know what they call the worlds, but essentially the, the kids could go there and they could watch and click ads and they would get paid a percentage in, in Robux. So the, the currency for the game, they would get paid. This guy's raking in millions of dollars from all these kids going there and just watching ads all day long, clicking on ads, <laughs> farming click revenue for this guy. And giving them, you know, 10% back or whatever in, in Robux. Um, so, I mean, you're talking about how easily they can be manipulated through something like that. It wouldn't be hard to say, why don't we, we give you Robux for whenever you install our new games? And yes. how, many, how, many, how easy is it to package malware in with a game whenever you're using your work computer? So right. go back to that, say, all right, cool. This is, come here, install this, and you get free Robux. Try our new worlds and... Just yeah. keep it going like that. You, if you, if you did that, I don't even know how many you could you could compromise very quickly. Oh yeah, and I mean, think about it. You've you got to install something. May have to have admin rights. If not, you can make it have admin rights or make it request that. So now you have admin rights on a home computer. That's probably the same password you use on other computers on the network. Plus, you have remote access to it. You can bounce around or whatever you want. Wait for the parents to get home. Jump onto their computer or at least monitor the traffic. I mean, there's all different kinds of avenues that once you had that 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 child do something on that computer, then. Now you have their network, and if you've got their network, you can do a lot of things with it. So, yeah, I mean, that's – and I'm, I'm again, I'm paranoid. I teach my kids to be paranoid, uh, and I lock computers down. They can't install anything, which is a pain in the neck because every time one of those updates happen, I've got to go in there to, you know, type in the password that's, you know, 100 characters long, whatever it is, and – but – on the flip side, thinking about the attack vector you just mentioned, I don't know if we have a way to to prevent that other than standard good security practices, good passwords, keep your updates, don't let them download and install anything. Um, but you were talking a little bit earlier uh, before the show about getting the kids to do something because you're threatening their, their families. Um, so you were talking about uh, telling the kid, if you don't do this, your mommy's going to get fired or your daddy's going to get fired. I mean, that's got to be, think about it from a child's perspective. They're scared. They don't know to go, who to go ask this question. If they're told not to go tell anyone and the attacker in, you know, one of these games says, Hey, if you don't, if you don't install this, I'm going to get your parents fired. Yeah. 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 You could say, I mean, you could even. The thing is they can they can try the same attack a million times and so it might not work the first hundred but they could say hey i know you're playing this on your mom's work computer eventually that's going to be true yeah and then eventually you know you're going to say your mom's going to get fired if you don't do this and yeah and yeah i mean just you don't even have to have to do background and target somebody and all that it can just be a shotgun approach where they just say hey i know this will eventually work and and try it on 200 kids and it'll probably work yeah 
um, yeah. And then, and then from there, you already know that's the target you want because you don't even have to go through, oh, it's a dead-end family computer with nothing on it. But let's talk about family computers. Let's talk about uh, – let's, let's talk about that. Okay. So um, if I am able to get access to that family computer, I can pull your iCloud backup. I can pull anything that you have saved in, in Chrome. You have usernames saved. You, a lot of people probably have their banking information saved, access to QuickBooks. Maybe they have a small business. Um, I mean, just pretty much everything. Think about a lot of people don't realize how, how terrifying it could be. Forget an iCloud backup or a Google Cloud backup. I mean, your whole life is in that cell phone for most people nowadays. Oh, yeah. If, and, and that's something that we're, we're seeing where whenever ransomware is happening, uh, sometimes they'll pull personal data as well. And not only will they extort the business, they'll extort the CEO. And they'll yeah. go, hey, I saw those pictures on your iCloud because they, the, they pulled the phone back up. Um, yep. I mean, it's, you know, it's, yeah, the same thing with the, with the family computer. If I can say, hey, does your wife know about these pictures you have saved on your phone? Uh, well, you know, even a slightly different tactic. What if they put pictures up there for you? Yeah. You know, that's the thing that this was an attack years and years ago that I saw. It was someone was planting pictures for months. They would slip in pictures during the day when this person would otherwise have access to it. And they would put in pictures and folders that were hidden. And if you're not looking at what pictures are on your drives, you may not know it's there. But then how do you defend it in court when these pictures were put on that drive during the time that you had access. So let's say eight to five during the day while you're working, whatever. And these pictures are sliding in there. It looks really bad. Now it's possible that some forensics analysis could show that it's coming from this and you have the logs coming from a different computer, whatever. But think about that. If think about the reputational harm and, or the stress that's going to cause when come, someone calls up and says, Hey, I saw these child porn pictures that are on your drive. If you don't give us a hundred thousand dollars, I'm going to tell everyone. Uh And the first thing you think of is like, well, I didn't put them there, but you go and look and all of a sudden they're there Uh and you try to delete them, but then they're in the backups. And then, you know, all these, now it looks like you're trying to hide it and it can be really scary. And these attackers, don't have any qualms sometimes you know that they're there to make money or they're there to get access to systems they're there to get access to uh, networks and such um so we got we got a statement here from preston or a question and uh, it says jonathan as a CISO, what do you think about companies beginning to offer some level of cybersecurity awareness training for the families i love that in fact uh, before i left my last organization we had deployed a security awareness training that I love the training because one of the things that they offered us or told us is if one of our employees or the other constituents of our organization did this training and they think that their family members could get value out of it, send them a link. It was freely, you know, linkable. So you could link it to your family and they could watch it. So that was a huge selling point for me because it wasn't just giving security awareness training to my organization. It was also providing that, same security we're sharing to our families and to our grandparents and to you know wherever so i really appreciate that and i really like the idea of organizations thinking about require you know w- requiring additional security awareness now you know i've got uh, in another lifetime law enforcement background and, and some things that i did and 
and thinking of it from the point of view of physical security, uh, let's say you've got a, you work for the government, you've got a, uh, you have cover and you have to protect your family. Your family has a cover. There's all these processes you have to go through, protect your house, do whatever. That's great. I think we're at a point now, maybe we were at that point 10 years ago where people need to start thinking that way in an organization. But here's the thing. I don't think it's just the CEOs and the CISOs and the CIOs, because if I can get a maybe a low level um, technician, uh, you know, not a low level, but a technician that works in the company that might have admin rights or they might have access to a database or a system, then I, I'm still in and they may not be aware that they're a target. But sure enough, their families aren't aware of it. And let's say you take somebody who makes $40,000 a year and you say, hey, if, uh, if you don't do this, we're going to ruin your family. We're going to make you get a divorce, probably get you arrested. All you got to do is give us your credentials. What might that person do? You know, what would the integrity of the person would hopefully say that they would go and report that. But a lot of people get scared and they may not report that. And they may say, okay, don't, don't hurt my family. Just here, here's the credentials. Cause do they really care about the organization over their family? And that's something they got to think about. I, mean, I think we have to think about that as an industry is where do we draw the line in terms of who do we need to help get better in security? Is it that CISO that knows they're a target or is it that line worker or that technician or somebody that may need to have a VPN access that they get compromised or that they have to give out because they're afraid of getting a divorce? Absolutely. Um, and that, that reminds me, we, so we've started doing, uh, at least businesses have started doing this more with us where we do assessments for executives and, and everything like that, where we go to the executive's home we do a physical walkthrough, check everything out there. We do, we check out their, their wireless security, their computers. We do, it's, it's basically for the company, but it is a personal audit. And part of that is we do an interview with the person and an interview with their spouse, where we talk to them and we say, hey, how do you handle this? How, what's your protocol for this? Do what do you say if this happens? Um, and we're, we're covering a lot of these things. Um, and, that's, that, and that's the way it has to be now. Yeah, because this is, is so we, we see these attacks so common that if you are, you know, a, a Fortune 500 company and you're a CEO that that hasn't done that, that's you're a huge target. These yeah. things will happen to you. Eventually, somebody's going to go for your family and you need to make sure that they're a step ahead of it so they don't get taken advantage of. Yeah, I did it before I came to Alias. I uh, I was doing that as personal CISO. I called it personal CISO, but I would work with high-risk individuals, um, people such as uh, law enforcement officers who were in a particular case or lawyers or witnesses or someone. And and I would do actually pretty much the same process I that we do in an organization. So say everything you just said, but I would work with them on resetting all their passwords and enabling multi-factor. I would work with them on all their online accounts and making sure you secure down all the privacy settings, work with training on their kids, do an inventory of all their devices. There's a lot of times that people don't know how many devices they have on their network. So those sorts of things we'd go through, we'd, I do that risk stuff and help them get better. I called it personal CISO. And it was just a small drop in the bucket. You know, the people that I was working with were 
I called them high risk, but there was a reason why they might be, you know, target by someone. But those sorts of things, I think every employee should think about. Um, and the organization should help their employees think about that because it only takes, you know, one credential to get into a network, you know, on the VPN or on a VNC or a terminal services or something like that to get in and get access to that network. So that can be really, really scary. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of people say, uh, you know, if they can get into the network, it's game over. I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that logic, but a lot of the times it's true. Yeah. A lot of the times whenever we're doing a, you know, a full blown red team assessment or something like that, it just takes that first hop. Once yeah. we can get that first hop, if the rest of the network is not secure, it's, it's game over. Um, and how many home networks have the same protections as organizational networks? Almost none. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so one hop into a private home network, that might actually be true. Not every time. You're right. But a lot of the times, if you jump onto a home network, it's going to be access to any machine. If you've got creds, you might be able to jump machine to machine to machine. Um, we could run Responder on it and see if a work laptop was otherwise blasting something out and seeing what we could get from that. And, you know, uh, there's all kinds of different things. You know, I again, I'm kind of paranoid, so I like watching. I've got screens up to where I watch what's happening on my network. Um, kind of a mini sock for myself. Uh, but I did that to learn uh, to learn from it and to learn how to deploy some of these tools and some of these things. But how many people get a chance to do that, honestly? Um, and how many services are out there? I mean, I think the services that we provide are kind of unique. Um, I know the stuff I was providing early, you know, before this job is personal CISO. No one was doing that sort of thing. So it's it's really interesting. It's it's a huge risk. It's a huge vulnerability and everyone kind of ignores it. They're kind of scared of it. And I think that's the danger. Well, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to secure technology. It's a, uh, we, we joke that, uh, the only technology in my house is a, uh, is a printer. It's not plugged into the internet and I keep a gun next to it just in case it acts up. Um, <laughs> we, you know, we, it's, it's, it's any, anything extra that you get is something extra you have to secure. Um, and whenever you think about God's talk about smart homes, we're, everything is connected oh, Talk yeah. about people don't realize how many devices they have on their network go go look at somebody who's got everything wired in they've got you know sensors for all their lights and all their speakers and all their televisions in a big you know yeah. wealthy neighborhood house oh my god you're talking about a full slash 24 subnet i mean you're talking oh yeah devices easy yeah yeah no i mean i've got I don't know, 50 or 60 devices on my network. You know, last time I, I looked, I guess a couple of days ago, um, it's, it's, it's pretty powerful. I mean, you have so much stuff that you're not thinking about, you know, new laptops, new iPads, new controllers, new everything. Um, we've got a, a question from Roman about a small mom and pop shop offering this. And do we have enough security guys to train everyone? The answer is no, you know, honestly, that this is the reality. Um, I started teaching a little uh, as an adjunct instructor at a tech college and it's cybersecurity for the small business. And I get people in every class. I just taught it a couple of weeks ago and they come in and it's for an entrepreneurial program. So it's before, hopefully before they've started their business and I go in and I talk to them about, okay, let's talk about inventories. Let's talk about firewalls. Let's talk about compliances. Let's talk about privacy. And I can tell you the, it was really funny. I had one of the students there uh, when I taught it last, he just looked at me and he goes, you know, you made our IT budget just jump like 300%. <laughs> like, 
Well, yes, I did. But there's a lot of things. And I don't. What's interesting is it's not any different whether we're going after a Fortune 500 company, a Fortune 50 company. The process is the same as a small mom and pop or even a home. There are standard rules. Do you know what you have? Is it secure? Do you have passwords? Are you doing your patches? It's all the same thing. Um, And so to answer Roman, can they afford this? I guess my real question is, can they not afford it? You know, can they not to do this stuff to protect their business? Um, I talked to a a bank guy, I guess it was about a year and a half ago now, and he was talking about they were seriously discussing getting, before they give small business loans, they were going to have the organization audited from a cybersecurity perspective because so many mom and pop shops, they go down to the first ransomware. They can't recover from it. So the bank was thinking, was saying, okay, well, let's get them to get an IT audit. And then before we give them the bank loan to make sure they're doing the right things. And I was like, absolutely. Yeah, I think that that's a great idea because they're not doing those things by default because they don't know. The more we can get out there, the more we can talk about this in the industry, the more hopefully we can get people engaged in this of like, oh, this is uh, this is a serious deal. And that's why I wanted to do this episode, because now I think we have people, the handful of people in the comments are now going, oh, maybe I need to go home and talk to my family. Maybe I need to go home and check all their devices. So, And I think that that's really the key issue. The more we talk about this, the more we talk about the risks and the vulnerabilities, hopefully the more people get engaged to, to go and check some of the basic things. Yeah. Um, and one thing I will mention also for uh, off too much on it is uh vendors is the name of the game in it it's not necessarily it'd be great if you had enough security people there but chances are on a small business you won't you probably won't have a security person you probably will have a i mean depending on how big the business is but the majority of small businesses have three people that do it and they all wear a bunch of different hats um and you know one of those people are going to be they might be your security guy, but he probably also does your networking and maybe he also does your servers and maybe he does your cloud stuff. And that guy's probably not going to be able to train everybody. And that's where you need vendors. Um, you can find, there's lots of free information out there as well. Um, you know, you can, there's a good series on, on YouTube. There's lots of stuff on LinkedIn. There's, there's lots of materials that you can just say, Hey guys, please review these and send it out. Um, but, but having vendors actually come in and do training is much more, uh, plausible to do than actually having a security staff that can sit down with everybody. Um, so that's something that we see a lot of people doing, and I think it's super valuable. Yeah, and I also think that the industry reaching out to everybody is better. It's it's growing and it's better, but I think a lot more people are becoming aware of things like requiring multi-factor um, yeah. or uh, well protections of the of your device during remote calls. You know, using remote technologies and how to protect that sort of thing, uh, covering cameras, um, things like that. So I think the 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 overall communities that we're in are getting better. They're, they're becoming more aware of these issues. Uh, one of the things that I'm seeing is some of the org- some of the generations that have come up with computers they don't necessarily know those protections because it wasn't 
covered to them. They, they've always used computers. They've always used this technology and they've always had these cameras. It was always available, but they don't necessarily think about turning it off or covering it up or any of those things. So I think that that, that allows for, again, a risk. You know, if we can get the machine, we can get the, the camera, we turn it on, we can just see what's going on and you know, capture that. So, okay. Well, we've got, so I don't know, probably five or 10 minutes left. Um, what's another attack vector? What's, what's yeah. something that you would, you would like to, you would like to try out or you have seen happen in, in this realm? So how about rather than um, exploiting your family, how about when you can't trust them? So, uh, <laughs> okay. Well, now I'm interested. Thing is uh, how easy it is to get a profile of somebody's voice where you can have AI manipulate their voice to recreate their voice on a phone call. Um, you've, you've seen me spoof numbers a million times. We do it every time we do vision calls. It yep. takes nothing to spoof a phone number. If yep. I can call up your spouse or your kids or whatever, and I can call them three or four times over the course of a couple of weeks from different numbers. I can pretend to be somebody I don't need to, to get information from them. I just need to keep them on the phone talking to me for two or three minutes. And I need to do that four or five times. If I have 15 minutes of somebody talking, you can recreate their voice pretty darn well. So all I need to do is do that. And then I can call you from their spoofed phone number and I can say, you know, Hey, uh, there's been an emergency, you know, this happened, I'm all right, but I need your, I need your credit card to, to help me get my car towed or, or something like that. Yeah. You, know, you can, you can, there's, there's all kinds of attack vectors like that. So, you know, whenever your, your kid calls you and they're, you know, they sound alarmed and they're freaking out and they say, there's a wreck, I'm fine. You know, I didn't tell you I was going out, but I actually am out of state. I just need to get the car towed. Can you help me? Are you going to say, is this really you? What are you, you know? <laughs> Okay, let me ask you, do you think you could get that from audio from YouTube? Uh, I have, actually. Um, nice. Yes, we did that with uh, one, of our, one of our good friends who posts up videos on YouTube doing uh, you know, tutorials on, on technical stuff. Um, so we, we, we did. We did that, and we had him – we manipulated the video as well. So we got video of him. We ma matched it to the words and made it sound like he was uh, just reading off memes and, and dumb stuff. But it was uh, it was pretty convincing. It was pretty good. Well, I mean, and really think about it. If you can get it off YouTube, or maybe you can get it off of chat on games. Mm -hmm. You know, if you if you're on the same chat room with them and listening to them, maybe they're uh, they're playing a game. You know, on uh, well, I'm not going to say any specific tools or programs, but. You know, if, if you can capture that voice from that over a period of time, there you go. And you don't have to raise suspicions that way because you're posting it publicly or it's out on, you know, one of the uh, the streaming services that, you know, or they're on Roblox and they're chatting with one another or whatever. So, yeah, I could definitely see that as, as an attack vector. And honestly, that should scare people like crazy because mm -hmm. how do you defend against that other than don't put it out there i mean that would be my thing on the privacy side is don't put it out there but we're doing a bad if, job right now oh well, yeah th this is true this is true <laughs> um but i mean what are the defenses to that that's that's not you're right you just had to say hey is this really you <laughs> what's your code word that's it um yeah. you know and i and i hate that 
what do you what do you start off every conversation with your children what's the password i mean that's a little weird but you know maybe we're going to end up at that point um using using services that are a little more secure uh, such as signal where you have a verification of end to end uh, things like that are going to be really good. Um, you know, if you, you make it to where your typical hygiene is, oh, I talk to my family through Signal. Like, that's that's good. Yep. It's a good thing. Um, but nothing is foolproof and, and everything can be exploited. So it's, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I will say that when my wife and I got together originally back many, many years ago, we were still using AIM, if anybody remembers AIM. Oh, yeah. Probably a lot of people weren't even born yet, but why were we using AIM? Uh, we had a code word. Absolutely, because we wanted to make sure that who I was talking to and that she was talking back, that we were the right people. Um, so I got a funny comment from Roman um, that he says, yeah, thank you. I'm now going to turn off the internet, go into my bunker and a full hat. Welcome to the full hat club. Yeah. Um, I, I am a proud member and uh, I will see you at the next chapter meeting. Um, but yeah, you know, those sorts of things you got to think about. Um, and, and, we wanted to do this episode because it's fun, but it's also very serious. It's it's very serious way to think about things for the protection of your family that ultimately leads to the protection of the organization. So if you are an organizational leader, you should be thinking about this. You know, what, what are the vulnerabilities from that family side? But more importantly, how do we protect our families? Um, and... And that's what I really want to get people to do is start thinking about how do you protect your families? Because if we can protect them, we are protecting the organization. So we've only got a couple of minutes left. Um, let me jump over to, to check the, the time. Oh, he hasn't even given me the five minute yet. So we've got plenty of time. So let's, uh, let's talk about a uh, kind of this concept of extortion where you've got you have got family members involved. Where have you seen um, where that has been successful from the attacker's point of view? Um, I have one that's in my head that I heard from another podcast that I can relay, but what have you had? What have you seen that? So the whole intent is the family was seeing bad stuff and the attacker says, if you don't do this thing, I'm going to continue doing it. So we see it a lot on the personal side. Um, I'm trying to think of more more corporate examples, but um, we we've seen it a lot with the uh, like I mentioned in the very beginning the extortion of somebody getting a blackmail of uh, you know nude photographs of that person um, you know through the through the romance scams or something like that. We've seen that happen to married people um, where you know they were obviously caught in the wrong, and now they're trying to not get found out and we've seen them get taken for everything we've seen them where they end up having to come to us because they're relentless once you start giving them something they're not gonna back up um so we've seen them take them for their entire savings we've seen them you know sell vehicles and give them the money i mean we've seen people get completely ruined through these things well and and also think about it from the point of view of what if you have a spouse that maybe you're going through a divorce and they decide just to get to, to hurt you in that way by giving out that information um, or setting you up or doing bad things to hurt your career. You know, that's uh, that's one of those things that are you don't want to think about it. But let's say you have sent your your significant other pictures of yourself 
and now they're mad at you, those pictures exist. Um, and that's a problem because they handed off to a, a cyber criminal organization and they're going to use that to their advantage. Um, so those are, those are things that I think you really have to, to, to think about. Okay. So we've got four minutes to close. We've got plenty of time. Um, let's see what we got. We've got some uh, posts here. Uh, Roman asked, how can we spread this to non-security people? Uh, well, first and foremost, make sure they listen to this uh, this stream. Uh, you can hear it on the Voice America Network and on your favorite uh, podcast tools. Uh, you can also uh, find us on LinkedIn. Um, the, this will be out there for a little while. And I believe it might be on YouTube. I don't know that for sure, but I know you can find it on the Voice American Network. So make sure if you're listening to this now, spread this out to everybody you know. Let them know that this is a great episode and we had a great time talking about it, but this is really good information. Uh, and then the next one, Roman says, is you can get an AI to make good fake photos and videos and try to prove it's not you. Absolutely. That's another one. Fake a video. Fake a, a picture. And then again, I mean, it's extortion. And how do you prove it's not you? You just say it. Say, I was never there. Um, you know, it's, I, I thought about it one time, this is a long time ago, but it's a, uh, um, if you've got a, a, a passcode tattooed on you that to verify that that's not you, show the judge the tattoo. So I'm not saying that's a good idea. I'm just saying that that concept is out there. How do you verify it's not you? It's really hard. So that's something to think about. All right, let's see what, uh, all right, we're at two minutes. So we've got about another minute. Um, is there anything else you can think of, Tanner? I mean, wh what other kinds of things do you really want people to walk away with and think about on this stuff? We could go on hypothetical attacks all day for sure. I have, I have no, <laughs> no shortage of, of think diabolical ideas. Um, that's, 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 what I, that's what I do. I just make up really diabolical ideas for a living. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the real thing, the real takeaway is you have to talk to your family about it. You have to make sure that they know this is a thing that they, especially if you're in a person that would be a high target. If you work for a company that's a value, that's a, a you know, a, a very valuable target, or if you have a very valuable role at a company, or if you're a very wealthy individual, anything like that, you need to say, Hey, this type of stuff happens. You need to look for this type of stuff. Just like you would say, hey, don't get in a stranger's car. You know, you yep. would say, hey, guys, don't don't open a stranger's email. Don't 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 give them any information. Um, you know, if, if somebody's calling you and they're asking for something weird, hang up and call me back. If they say I'm if they say that if I call you and I start asking you for something, but it seems really weird, hang up and call me back. Just make yep. sure, you know, I mean, there's. Yep. That's really it is educate your family, make sure they know <clears throat> things happen and can happen and yeah. don't make them live in fear, but, but make sure they know it's a. Uh, no, stay. but a healthy dose of paranoia is useful. Yeah. Um, and, and one of the things is this, this happens to large organizations, you know, a fortune 500 company, it'll happen to an LLC is a, a ponytails and cabins LLC that might do some Airbnbs or something. It can happen to them. It can happen to everybody. Uh, Everybody needs to work through the process to protect their families and to protect their organizations. So we're right at 30 seconds. So we're going to cut off very, very soon. I hope everyone has enjoyed this episode. I've had a lot of fun. Uh, please come back next week. We've got a, uh, another episode of Ant Security for All with another great guest. You can find us on the Voice American Network and on your favorite podcast. So everyone have a great rest of the week. Uh, only a few hours left. A great weekend. And we will see you next week.
Thank you for tuning into And Security for All. Be sure to join your host, Kim Hakem, for another episode of the show next Friday at noon Pacific time and 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Business Channel. And don't forget, you can follow Kim on LinkedIn by searching for Kim Hakem. That's Kim, H-A-K-I-M, to keep yourself posted on all of her upcoming cybersecurity events. a cybersecurity professional that needs to earn continuing educational hours? FutureCon Events brings high-level cybersecurity training discovering cutting-edge security approaches, managing risk in the ever-changing threat of the cybersecurity workforce. Cybersecurity is no longer just an IT problem. To learn more about attending a virtual event, go to futureconevents.com or email info at futureconevents.com. Or follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter at FutureConHQ. Don't miss the weekly FutureCon seamless podcast series focusing on the insights and thoughts of chief security officers and industry pioneers making a difference throughout the world. Kim Hakem, CEO of FutureCon Events, and Darren Anderson, CEO and co-founder Next Robotics, host seamless podcasts started by a team of entrepreneurs with experience in fields like smart cities, technology, cybersecurity. The result is a series of podcasts unlike anything you've ever heard anywhere. Listen where you get your podcasts, including Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher.